Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. So today's guest is someone who I have followed for about two years, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it might be longer. No, two years. Three years, give or take. And how I came to know today's guest was um, thanks to YouTube again. YouTube has given me a couple of guests on this podcast. And um, I had my daughter with me. She had just been born. And I don't even know how. Uh, I know I'd been listening to a couple of uh, random songs and DJs and one of the DJs was uh, this guy who liked to play Japanese funk music and just out of random one day I turn on the TV and I see something called Black Experience Japan and this gentleman on the screen I'm like huh Black Experience Japan well, do I, who is this guy well, why would I hmm. well, well that's true there are black people there so let me just give it a look, you know, and give it a try. And I start listening. and I'm like, wow, you know what? I love what this brother has to say. And I find him on Instagram and I just start following him. And I, I just, you know, I actually sent that video out to probably 20, 30 people from his. Yeah, I did. I shared it. And I was like, there are some of them who have been like, oh, I want to move to Japan. or I want to move out of where I'm living, but I've never been able to, or I need that inspiration. Or, but I just said, you need to hear from this guy. And if you like what he's saying, or, you know, he might be the person you need to hear from, the inspiration you need, but this is it. And I just sent it out. And some of them responded like, wow, thank you. And, you know, I don't know if they ever took action, but I just shared it out. And since that day, that's actually how I started following that channel. And I kept in touch with today's guest. And since then, I just love the energy that he brought to the table and everything about him. And he's just been an inspiration from afar. So um, he was someone that I had always planned that, you know, whatever life brings, maybe in the next phase of this podcast, I'll be able, I always hope that one day I'll be able to get him into the studio because the original plan of the podcast was have all the guests in the studio. And then, you know, COVID happened and you know, I started interviewing guests virtually. And, and one day I said, you know, why not ask this brother, you know, if you can interview him. But I was like, you know, I don't know if he will agree or not. But, you know, I've always been like that with some guests. and But I've gotten lucky. So I just left a comment on one of his videos that I would like to interview <laughs> one day. And to my surprise... He didn't respond immediately. It wasn't like, you know, I'd even forgotten that I did that. And out of the blues, one morning I, I was barely awake and I just saw, uh, let's do this. In my <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> he saw my comments. <laughs> and yeah, that's, but that's just the, the energy. He, he, he's, if he's doing something, he's doing it. And uh, well, yeah, I try, man. Yeah, yeah, but he, if you once you get to watch his TED talk, you watch his YouTube videos, you watch his Instagram, you'll get to understand why this guy is amazing, and he's 
I mean, I'm recommending to every country. That's not the big countries, but, but like every country that's trying to build their tourism. Like this is the type of person you need. This is the guy you need to go to, you know. So <laughs> without much further ado, I introduce Deuce. I said it right. Yeah, Mr. yeah, that was perfect, Deuce. Yeah, Deuce. Like number two. So he leaves. Oh man, that that was a that was a very well thought out and very humbling introduction. If I've ever had one before in my life, oh, that right, made me feel right. some kind of way. So thank you, first and I, foremost. I, I try, but uh, you know, you you you're a huge inspiration. Oh, you did that, you, man. You're a huge inspiration, and um, you you touch lots of lives. You 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 may not realize it, but I believe you touch a lot more people than uh, people like to admit. And you know, it, it's just inspiring seeing how. You, you live your life and you're willing to talk about it and let people know that, hey, it's cool to take certain steps and be oh, out man. there. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. For real, for real. Yeah. So, oh, I, I forgot to give you a disclosure before we started. I'm recording on Jay's, um, on Josh's um, Zoom. So I'm still Raphael. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like looking in the corner. I'm like, what's up, Joshua? <laughs> he, ain't no, he ain't nowhere in earshot. Just, okay. <laughs> uh, no, he's laughing over here. <laughs> so well, let's as long begin. as he gets the lights on, we good. Yeah. So now uh, you're based in um, Osaka, Japan. But yes, sir. before we get to Japan, let's begin from the very beginning. Where were you born? And give us a little bit about your childhood. Oh, man. All right. So probably in 1990, my dad had a little twinkle in his eye. Saw my mama. You know, some things happened. I popped out nine months later. Boom. 1991, I'm born. Um, and uh, unfortunately, my parents, they weren't married or anything at the time. They were actually quite young. Oh. My dad was 19 and he was pretending to be like older, like 23, 24. Yeah. And my mom, she was 20. So he kind of tricked her a little bit. And uh you know, one thing led to another. They kind of realized, hey, we're young people. We're not really meant to be together. Uh, so they split. And I spent a lot of my early years living with my mother. Um, and we had gone through a whole bunch of different things. And with me being a kid, everything I was seeing was quite normalized. Mm. Okay, I live in a one family or one parent household. That's normal for me. Um, maybe sometimes we stay at this friend's house and sometimes we stay at this friend's house. And that's normal for me. And then uh, I ended up having a younger sister that was born a couple years later when I was about six years old. And because of that, my mother was really low on resources and we were actually homeless for a couple of years. Uh, not a couple of years, maybe a couple months. And it was a very difficult decision for my mother to make, but she left me with my grandmother, um, who was my father's mother. Mm -hmm. And I lived there for about a month. I was out of school and me being like seven years old, I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, at the time, my grandmother, she was still working actively. So even though I wasn't in school, I was staying at home by myself, preparing my own meals. And I feel like, you know, as a seven year old, for me, that's normal. I yeah. felt really independent. I felt very adult. I would call other adults by their first names, et cetera. And it was just really normal for me. But when I started to live with my father, after he heard about the situation with my mother, I quickly realized that my normal was very different than the other normal. Oh. Um, that everybody else I was dealing with. So I was living in Chicago. I had moved out to Virginia to the whitest neighborhood I've ever known in my life. Before this point, actually, man, I've never even seen like a real white person in person. Like this is something yeah. that you see on TV. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. And my dad was married to a white lady at the time. So I was like, oh, this is really different. 
So with adjusting from living with my mother to living with my father and living in a new city, a new state, going to a new school and being assimilated into a new family was a lot for me to take in. Um, but I adapted real quick. Maybe the first three months were really hard for me because I had a real like sh- Chicago independent idea. So if somebody looked at me too long, I was ready to box yeah. one of these kids, you know, because I, 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 I had to show I wasn't weak. Yeah, we have a mentality. OK, you go into the, the classroom. You want to figure out who the biggest and baddest kid is and try to beat that kid up. So I was definitely <laughs> that guy. I got sent to the office more times than not. But uh, after a while, you know, I started to learn that you don't have to be on guard all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the first time in my life where I got really interested in learning about different cultures outside of what I had already known. Because I saw, okay, if I can live this way and I can also live that way, one way with my mother, one way with my father, there's probably a million other ways that I could possibly be living. Mm -hmm. So I became real interested in just understanding, okay, what's your normal? Mm -hmm. Like what makes your experience your experience and i caught on to that really early like age 10 so i feel like i was a little bit above the curve with that yeah um outside of that i really loved education i was always in the books trying to study uh, when i moved back to chicago after i lived in virginia because uh, the situation with my mother got better i came back to the city when i was about 10 and i was exposed to this other culture and other way of doing things so i tried to put them together but i'm a i'm a lighter complexion individual And I was also kind of more articulate than a lot of my other classmates were. And they knew that my stepmother was white. They assumed that I was part white and I'm not any part white. So they were like, oh, you know, you're the white boy. You know, we're going to beat you up and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. But I was a scrapper. So I still fought every day after school. Mm -hmm. But I made sure to get my homework done. And I didn't really let it affect me too much while I was in elementary school. And then I ended up going to high school, one of the uh, more prestigious high schools in Chicago, because I tested into it. And from there, like life just really began. My network started growing. I started to gain more confidence. I was meeting people from all around the world and different cultures and stuff. Probably dated a Mexican girl or two. It was it was a real good time. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what childhood was. It was it was a lot of me really discovering are being exposed to different things that really open my minds going forward. And I was very fortunate to experience that at a younger age than a lot of other people ever do. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, 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 that's good. You came to that realization early. I moved around um, Nigeria a lot during my younger Mm -hmm. years. And then even um, later in life, because I moved to the United States um, after the age of 25. So I'd mm-hmm. done. I'd seen a lot of, of life already in Nigeria, but it would still take me a little bit to come to that realization of other people's normals. Ah, uh, yeah. Recognizing that because I was still using the blanket statement of like you know everybody is this, everybody is that, and everybody you know boxing everybody. Oh yeah, for sure, in, for sure. In one box. I'm I'm still surrounded by a lot of people like that. You know where they say all of this group is A and yeah. all of this group is B. And you, you know, when you, when you start to have these experiences, you, of course, there's a blanket, there's a base foundation for it. Mm-hmm. But the, the tapestry, which makes up every person is slightly different. There's a different stitch. Yeah. It's like, how did they get there? And, you know, you can use that common base knowledge, but you shouldn't make that the end all be all. That's right. That's you know what I mean? Right 
So uh, one quick question before I move to the next quest question is, uh, what where in Virginia did you uh, stay in? Oh, I was living in uh, Newport News. My ah. father, he was in the Navy. Okay. So, you know, yeah, it that's, was real that's close Navy, to the base. Navy area. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was stationed in Virginia Beach. That was my first duty. Ah, okay, yeah, okay, okay. First duty station. But uh, my home state is Virginia because when I moved here, um, my first mm-hmm. yeah, base was, uh, my, well, my first place of stay in America was Virginia, but in the northern part. So Fairfax County is my home county. So, oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, Man, that's an introduction to America for real, for real. Yeah. Well, I arrived during the winter, so well. Fall, you picked a wonderful time to fall, try to move fall, out somewhere. Fall slash winter, and uh, yeah, I learned the hard way because yeah, I didn't listen to my mom. So uh, I mentioned that on, on two other episodes, and yeah, uh-huh. I, I figured out after I came out of the build the airport and getting to the parking lot and the first whiff of wind touched me and I was like, woo, bye, I'm going back to Nigeria. <laughs> my mom oh, was man, like, why, why didn't you put on a jacket? Okay. I told you to bring a winter jacket. I said, I looked at the weather, the degrees, you know, I didn't figure out that America did its own thing. Oh, uh, you're thinking, so, oh, it's like 30 degrees. It's yeah. going to be pretty hot. It's no, the same, it's the same as Lagos. I was like, it's the same as where I'm flying from. Well, ah, I don't need a ja- winter jacket. And my mom was like, okay, take my jacket. I brought an extra jacket for you. And I said, it's uh, that's an old people's jacket. I'm brand new in America. People got to know this new guy is in town. They got to start coming after me. You know, the ladies, I'm going to attract the ladies. That's what, that's what I was saying. My mom was like, ah, oh, this boy. Okay, go. And as soon as I stepped out of the building and the first wind, whoo, I was like, whoo, this is, ah, hell no. <laughs> going back. I'm going back. Where's the next plane? <laughs> <laughs> Take me back. <laughs> Just like you haven't even faced winter. Isn't, you haven't faced the real winter. I'm like, nah. There's something worse than this? No. No. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> you guys should have told me the real thing is coming. No. Well, I guess that was. Oh, the, no. You probably you got there like towards the beginning of fall, beginning of winter. Yeah, it was uh, so you November even really 1st. In it yet. November 1st. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you weren't. We still outside in t-shirts and shorts, man. Uh, yeah, not, not, not this guy, man. I was, uh, I was it, yeah, it, it was hard to, just the night before. I was like, oh man, I was, uh, I was like, oh no, 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 no. My my mom was dying in laughter. She was dying. I told you, I told you. I was like, ah, this is. Ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, no, no, I'm freaking out. Take me back. I need the money to buy the ticket though, but take me back. <laughs> So, um, still sticking with your childhood, mm-hmm. what would you consider your favorite childhood memory? My favorite childhood memory? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. I have a bunch of them. but Everybody does, but it, it's a question that... It, there, there's one thing in particular that really sticks out to me. Yeah. Um, I was living with my father at the time, and... Like, we lived up in a cul-de-sac. So a cul-de-sac, you know, it's like the street and it has, like, the circle Mm -hmm. at the end. We lived at that. And I was walking around the corner, and my father pulled up in his car. And my dad, he was, like, slowly inching his car, and he was, like, looking at me, laughing. I don't know why he was laughing. He was just laughing. So I looked back at him, and I was laughing, too. And so he pointed to the house, and he revved up his car. And I was like, oh, you want to race me? Okay. Well, I'm like this little kid. I'm like eight or nine years old, real scrawny, real long legs and arms. I'm like, okay, I could, I think I could probably beat his car up the street. So he revs up 
And then he like takes off in his car. He he goes like thirty. The the streets like less than a hundred meters long. Yeah, like, I, I know, know those kind of streets. <laughs> but it, it's real. It's real small. But he took off like yeah. boom, like maybe like zero to sixty. I was like, well, I'm I'm gonna you know tone it down. Shoots in my mind, and I take off. So I'm running and I'm running, and it seems like I'll never catch up to that car. And he's like still going, and I hear him laughing. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, this guy's a jerk. So I start running even faster. Oh, man. And in my mind, I see the car kind of like slow down. He probably hit the brakes, but I didn't see it because I was, my eyes, I was just seeing red because mm-hmm. he was just laughing at me and I'm trying to run. So I'm running and I'm slowly inching up to the car. And I make it back up to the front of the car where I see him and I point at him and I make a hand gesture. I'm not going to make the hand gesture right now, but you can probably imagine what it was. I was oh, mad. You, 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 it's an explicit podcast, so it's okay. God, oh, well, <laughs> fuck it then. So I gave this motherfucker the finger, and I was I took off, and I beat the car to the house. And so he gets out the car, and he's still laughing. And I was like, what's so funny? He was like, your book bag was open. And so all of my books and all my papers and all of my pencils, they were just like flying behind me. <laughs> and I was like, you could have told me that. You pointed to the house. You didn't point to my bag. Oh, he was like, man, I thought oh. it was homework that was falling out your bag. So that's why he pointed to the house. Oh, man. Yeah, he played. But then you, he complimented me after that. He was like, you know what? You're real fast. You might have you might have a shot at something. And uh, that kind of stuck with me, like for real. It stuck uh, with me later on because I ended up joining track and field in uh, high school, mm. and that ended up helping me pay my way for college. And nice. if, if I never had that experience, I probably would have never even thought to uh, join the track and field team. So, so because in my mind I was yeah. fast, mm-hmm. you know that's why I did it. Me uh, and my dad, we don't have a whole lot of stories like that, so that's probably why that's one of my favorite ones. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So. Um, yeah, still so, a jerk though. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear this, Dad, I love you, but fuck you. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think, um, yeah, I think that's one of those. Uh, I was watching, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason Williams. Yeah, Jason Williams, mm. really great stand-up comedy. Uh, um, stand-up comedian. I mean, um, he has his latest stand-up talks about it. he actually died at a performing he died for like five mm. minutes and uh so his latest stand-up that just came out he had his parents there and his uh, in-laws and yeah so when he when he goes into his dad <laughs> his dad has this stone face <laughs> that's what he just reminded me of but it's like i love you but <laughs> fuck, fuck you. like no seriously i get it i and, get it and now Typically, that I'm a, now that I'm a parent, like, I, I, I agree with that because uh, sometimes I'm, I'm still I'm going to do shit like that to my daughter too. I'm not gonna lie. I, I got to ask you the question because in my mind there are two kinds of dads. Mm-hmm. There's like the traditional Bill Cosby dad who's like super loving and super caring, and this other type. And then there's the other dad that'll like pick you up and throw you into a pool even if you don't know how to swim <laughs> to like <laughs> let you figure that shit out on your yeah. own. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm 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 more of an in between I would say because I love my daughter to the heavens, mm. but uh, I, I'm 
I want that bitch to rule the world <laughs> in our own way. But uh, uh. I can't wait for you to get out of the house. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're, you're way too demanding right now. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, bitch, go. I feel you, though. <laughs> I need my life back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she'll listen to this podcast when she gets older. I'm like, really? You called me a bitch? I said, yeah, I love That's you. That's how you man. felt. I was only two. Oh it's like, God, yeah, I love you, but fuck you. You know, you know how many slaps you you giving me by then? <laughs> and I'm just there, like, one day I get my the old Chinese, um, the old martial arts movies. It's like I, you waited for 18 years. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> this is the reverse. I'm not the. I'm not. Is is the is the kid who comes to revenge comes for the revenge in the future. Uh, I'm the parents mm -hmm. coming for my revenge in the future. Like, uh-huh. Now you're <laughs> old enough. Now I come for my revenge. You have to plot and plan. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's me. <laughs> no, uh, that's lovely, man. <laughs> I don't know, but that, that was a great story you shared, man. So, um, you now, you, you, so, with, uh, so moving forward, you go into, mm. uh, you go into uh you go into high school you go into uh you decide to go to college and from college that's when japan came into your life or how did that go about okay so i mean there there's a, a bunch of smaller steps that took place towards that but um i had actually discovered well i knew what japan was the whole time yeah, I loved yeah. anime. I knew what all that stuff was. Like Pokemon was like my favorite thing. Got my little oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, my daughter would love that one. She's obsessed with dinosaurs right now. That's <laughs> what she would just call it, the dinosaur. <laughs> but um, it was, I think, 2011. No, it was 2011. Um, I was a university student. I was uh, going into my junior year. And I had chosen international relations as my major. And as a part of that, one of the major components is you have to go study abroad somewhere. Um, I had my heart set on France. In high school, I studied French. I thought French was the smoothest language because they tended to get all the girls in the movies and, and stuff. Are, indeed. I was like, hey, you know, that's a romantic <laughs> language. I want to learn and I want to speak that. But I went over to the study abroad office where, you know, they, they tell you the different programs and the different costs. Yeah. And for one semester, it was like 10 G's like $10,000 for wow. one semester to go there. And I was paying my own way through school. I had a partial scholarship from the track and field, but it wasn't enough to cover a study abroad and other things like that. So I was kind of dejected at the time. So I was looking at that price. I was looking at my wallet. I was like, these two things don't really add up. Um, so I started looking for other options and other things to do. And they had a free program. So free 99 that looked real good to my pocket to go to japan um but actually that was the same year there was a huge uh fukushima incident yeah. they had the nuclear meltdown yeah and they ended up canceling all the study abroad to japan and i was just super dejected i was like oh i found this program it's gonna help me graduate but it's canceled what do i do so i'm sitting down in the resource office um it's like the MCLC. It's like the multi-language culture, something, something. That's where all the black kids hung out. And I was just in the office. I was looking on the computer. I was looking real sad. One of the older guys who went to China a couple of years ago, he looked at me. He was like, you really want to go? I said, yeah, I want to go. He's like, well, it seems like the program that you wanted to go on 
still is happening, but they're not accepting students. You would have to go directly on your own. And I was like, well, I wanted to go anyway. Let's make it happen. So it ended up turning into like this volunteer relief thing plus teaching English. And at the time, I was a little interested in volunteering, helping other people and stuff. But when I actually went to Japan and did it for like three months, it, it really changed something in me. Because like I told you, when I was a kid, I was kind of tough. I wanted to fight everybody. Yeah. You know, I was still a nerd and all that stuff. But like seeing the way that the people in Japan were interacting with each other and how they were uplifting each other and helping each other um, after this national crisis that happened, it just it showed me like the the love that humanity could have for other people. Uh-huh. And I didn't necessarily see that in Chicago where I was from. Cause everybody's, you know, I'm tough, I'm hard. Yeah. And I was like, okay, very similar to earlier in life. This is another way to live. I like this way of living. And now I'm, I'm old enough to make a choice to decide where I want to live. So I saw that and I saw Chicago and I love Chicago with all my heart. I plan on going back someday because there's so much work to be done there. But I think I could learn a lot from going to Japan, seeing how they live and showing my people in my neighborhood, hey, there is more than the ways that we know. Yeah. So I, I really went 100 percent. Everything I had at that point, I was like dedicated to France and doing this. And I was like, fuck it. I don't know anything about France. I don't know anything about the people. Pretty sure it's a lovely place. I've never been. Mm-hmm. But from my experience, this place here has a whole lot of value and there's a lot that I can take from that instill in myself. And then with the love that I learned from, you know, just seeing all these people doing these things, I can spread that out. And that became a hundred percent of my focus until the day I graduated. And I ended up graduating with, uh, I had to drop anthropology, so I didn't get it, but I was close. The sec, um, international relations and a Japanese focus on geopolitical politics policies. Oh, yeah. So just learning how the constitution in Japan works, the different connections that they have to U.S. and Japan, um, whether it's economic or just different laws and policies that they passed. Mm-hmm. So that was something I was really passionate about. But I graduated. I tried to find a job. I tried to apply for this program. Uh, if you want to know more about that, check out my TED talk. I go into a lot of depth about how I made that one oh, step yeah. over. Yeah, I rec- um, highly recommend that. Too. Yeah, <laughs> but pretty much that's when, after I graduated, there was like a year gap, and I was able to find a position in Japan as an English teacher. I did that for three years. Started studying the language a little bit more, opening up my network, start finessing, kind of jostling my way up to the position. And putting myself in a, a very favorable position to where now I am a basically a consultant for the government and I do digital marketing and I just give them different ideas and incentives to actually make changes to bring more tourists in from different countries. So they can kind of see some of the initial beauty that I saw when I first came to Japan. Mm. And that's, that's been my journey up to this point. So we'll, we'll come we'll come back to you being in Japan. Just wanted to touch on a few things. Um, volunteering, I, th- I think it's something that we in the black community, and I'm not just limiting it to United States, but I grew up in Nigeria and uh, I use myself as an example. Uh, mm. my, my growing up there, my generation especially, 
I grew up in different in, in many cities and uh, in a couple of cities, and the picture I had in my mind of volunteering was usually foreigners, mostly white people, who come down and it's like you know if they don't encourage, it's like they had to like lead and like show the way and. So mm. volunteering wasn't a word that I registered in my head as something that was important. Now, after I got out of the Navy, I would fall into depression and mentally I wasn't there. And mm. based on my interpretation of mental health and all that, I thought, well, you had to get injured in battle and you know, something drastic had to have happened to you for you to really need help or go seek help. Mm. So I wouldn't seek help for probably two years. Just stay at home, keep to myself, drink my booze. But I was functioning professionally, I could function. But afterwards, I withdrew. So the whole world wasn't aware. And until I moved to New York, and one day I just let loose. It was kind of a sleep. But luckily, the doctor heard a few things that I said and said, you know, you might want to check in here. And that's what began my journey. And... Um, around that time, um, after I started seeing a therapist, I got to meet, uh, I ran into a group of veterans on campus and they invited me to a volunteer event. And when mm. I went there, you know, we got to do some cleaning of a, a national park. That was the first time. And I was like, huh, I felt, it felt therapeutic to me. And I was like, oh, this is good. I feel good. Maybe I should do this more often. And that's how I began volunteering until one other day I did another volunteer event in, in the Bronx. was at a park and it was with uh, one of the big financial firms in New York. And I was the only black veteran that showed up. There were a couple of veterans that showed up, but they were all white. And I was the only hmm. black person. But we, we were working with a bunch of uh, high school kids. Uh, was from a, a high school, not in a well-funded area of the Bronx mm -hmm. and they were all black kids and when they asked me to introduce myself and I introduced myself I was still in college and whatnot it just seemed like all the kids just something switched in their heads and all the kids just turned and like they, oh black guys here everybody wanted mm -hmm. and then as soon as I started working all the kids had questions they were all coming to me so you really going to college so you you, you were in the Navy, and they were like, but there were questions. So how do you know what you wanted to study? How do you know what you want to do with your life? And I'm, But the mm -hmm. questions just kept coming and coming, and I was like, then it dawned on me. So if I hadn't showed up here, these kids wouldn't have felt comfortable really talking. Who would they have talked to? They don't, no, they're definitely. not used to most seeing definitely. black people show up to events like this. So it made me, like, you know, double down trying to... Put myself out there because it it, it 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 became more than just doing the job of volunteering but i started understanding why i went to another uh i got invited to another volunteer event and when i went there they were talking about oh the kids who they work with need uh mentors but they, they have a shortage of black male black males that mm. show up to such events they have lots of every, everybody shows up except black males so they're appealing for more mm -hmm. black males and i was like well, um, yeah, you know what? I, I could I could see why because there's a shortage of us coming out, and I understood because the kids, their parents are all in prison. 
this was a different group. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, so now I started understanding why. And, and so before I was, I, I didn't post, I only posted pictures of myself on social media, like when I'm partying. I, no, no, I'm not saying it's social media, so you shouldn't post photos if you're like having a good time. But I started mm-hmm. looking at that, like, okay, I could put a photo out there, like if I'm at a volunteer event, like, hey, we have another event coming up. If you guys want to come out with me, you know, you can join and something like that. And some friends started reaching out to me like, hey, okay, I would like to do this. I'd like to try it and see if it's something I, I, I will enjoy. And I, mm. a, a few guys have come out and now they're also doing it. And a few of them have actually taken leadership positions. But volunteering is quite, uh, it goes beyond um, just helping the, 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 the just uh, doing basic work, but it's something that's big for the community. And it's also a way of, getting involved in policy making and people don't even realize how big it is and how powerful no, it is. So yeah, most I was happy definitely. that, you know, you, you brought that and you see how it even helped in taking you to another part of the world. So yeah, yeah it, it's important that uh, people get to realize how, um, how powerful the, the power behind volunteering and how we can use that to get ourselves involved in our cities, in our counties, in our communities, mm. and, you know, setting an example for the next generation. And, you know, it, it's, it's very big. It's very big. And I can't, you know, I, I, I don't think I'll be who I am today without volunteering. And mentally, no, most I, definitely, I I would, yeah, I wouldn't be this person. Yeah. Most definitely, most definitely. Because, I mean, like, there's, there's, there's so much to unpackage with what you just said right now. The far most important one is that representation does matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, in our community, it's a little unfortunate. I'm talking to you, black man, a black man right now, that more black men don't volunteer their time. And, you know, everybody has their situations and this, that, and the other. But I had belonged to many organizations that required me to do volunteer work. I was in a fraternity. Mm-hmm. So every year I had to do at least 20 years or 20 hours, not 20, 20 years. 20 hours, yeah. And then... Uh, <laughs> High school was the same. So I had become quite, you know, familiar with just being in a volunteering, you know, space and showing, you know, other kids who could possibly be in my situation who have a very similar background to me and just give them that hope and that inspiration. Um, I still get messages on my Instagram to this day from the video that you're referencing um, from people who are, you know, anywhere from like 13 years old where they just have questions about Japan mm-hmm. and, you know, just girls and all that other kind of stuff. But I also have like older gentlemen who reach out to me and they say, thank you. You don't know what it means um, for young people to see you in a position and doing what you do. So with me being the only foreign person in my company, the only black person pretty much in my career sphere, so to speak, um, it, it, it's an honor, it's humbling, but it's also an honor that I'm that individual who gets to represent them. And at the same token, I do realize that I am that representation of you know, the black community and what it means to be a black male. Yeah. And I put my own spin you know, based on my personality, but just me being in that room shows other children or other individuals, hey, you know what you're doing right now? You could possibly be doing this too, if That's you right. wanted to. That's and here right. are the different steps to get there. That's right. But, you know, when you volunteer, it just shows that you you as an individual are so much more than just yourself. You That's represent right. so much more in any space that you go into. 
Yeah. I mean, even when I was in the Navy, we, we had volunteering was encouraged, but it, mm. the, the language behind it wasn't what I'm now aware of. So it was just like, oh, if you volunteer, you get points and, you know, you, you get, um, it helps your evaluation. So mm-hmm. I'll say it was more altruistic, but I, I did a volunteer event at NASCAR. I was the first <laughs> volunteering. <laughs> <at it. laughs> they got to hook you up with Bubba now. Uh, yeah, I, I got a whole bunch of uh, dips. They gave me free dips and Man, I wasn't mm-hmm. even into that life, but um, yeah, I tried it once. I was like, ugh. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all the boys who were into dips, oh, they were happy because I got like a, two bags full of dips, all the flavors and everything. <laughs> but uh, so that was the very first volunteering I did in the United States at NASCAR. Mm. And, and the next year I went again. And that was it. But later on, I will understand that because I will, I will realize that I did some volunteering that I never counted as volunteering. Because when uh-huh. uh, I came, I already knew how to drive before I moved to the United States. But Nigerians, uh, the Nigerian dri- driver's license is not recognized as a, um, in, in the United right. States. So I had to go get a driver's license like somebody who never knew how to drive. So mm-hmm. I would take the test and all that. And on the day of the test, uh, the person whose car I was supposed to use at the DMV, they're like, oh, you know, I did, it didn't occur to me like, you know, the, um, test everything to see if it works. I knew how to drive, mm-hmm. so I drove the guy's car there, and <laughs> the lady comes down, she's like, well, the horn is not working. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, I should have checked that. So she's like, yeah, we can't uh-huh. use this car. So the next, uh, I call somebody, another person brings his car, the windshield had a crack, just one line, just a tiny <laughs> line. The lady's like, nope, we can't use this car. So I'm like, how many people do I really know? <laughs> so I called somebody <laughs> again, and he was like, oh yeah, I'm awake, and he drove down, and she, she inspected the whole car and she's like, you must have a lot of, you must have friends that like you. They all just keep bringing your car. I was like, do you, you just want me to fail or what? But luckily the third car <laughs> met her. Right, giving you the whole yeah, runaround. The, the third car met, uh, passed her, her test and that's how I got my driver's license. So after that, I felt like if anybody needed a driver's license, I'll, I'll teach you. And I actually got about six, between six and 10. I don't even, I can't recall. I never, because I never kept count. But <laughs> it was later that someone was told me that, you know, all that should have been in my evaluation that I was helping people mm. get their driver's license because there were people who, they didn't know how to drive. So I was literally, I was teaching them how to drive with my car, but I never put it down. So I was volunteering my time to teach people who, who didn't know how to drive, black, brown, white, red, but I was just, all right, come up teach you and I, I was teaching them so but i didn't mm. it didn't even occur to me because i didn't know the language of volunteering then yeah so to me that was just oh i'm doing something and that was it and then later on i will now understand that that was actually volunteering but mm-hmm. it meant more to me than the going to nasca to go sell what was i selling pretzels oh yeah that, that was also volunteering mm-hmm. But that, that didn't, <laughs> the NASCAR thing didn't mean anything to me. Well, so, no, I feel like in yeah. that sense, you were just more empathetic in the situation because you had gone through so many steps with the DMV just trying to get your license. Mm-hmm. So by you giving back to the community saying like, hey, I don't want you to go through this thing that I went through. Um, so I'll take the time out of my day to show you the proper way to do it and make sure that when you do go, that there's no crack in the windshield and that the horn works properly, first off. Yeah, um, I, I, but to me, it, I, I just felt 
I was doing what should come natural, you know, to people because no, most definitely. Back in, in Nigeria, correct. somebody just helped me for like six, gave six days. Well, he was supposed to teach me in six days, but he taught me in two days. So he could use mm. the rest of the four days to go find girls. <laughs> but my sister never knew. <laughs> <laughs> she thought I used six days to learn how to drive. It was two days. <laughs> he was like, oh, well, there you, you go. You know how to drive. Now I can use the car to go find girls. And he used the car. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move. <laughs> so um, you arrived in Japan. Now let's dive into Japan proper. You arrived in Japan. Um, you went straight to Osaka when you arrived, or did you stay somewhere else? Like when when you moved okay. there so full time. When I first got out here to Japan to live and work, yeah, I moved to Himeji City. So maybe you probably know Kobe because you know they got the beef and. Mm -hmm. You know, Kobe Bryant is named after him or some crazy story like that. Um, it's really close to that city. Oh, uh, and if we're talking in relation to Osaka, it's maybe about an hour and a half, hour and a half away. Okay. So I was living there and I was teaching English. I was volunteering in the community, just a part of that for three years. And that was my, you know, acclimation period. Oh. I was just, you know, my job was real easy. Just learn the language, learn the culture, meet some different people, build up your skill set. That was the mentality. Um, and I gave myself a hard limit of three years because I know after three years, a lot of people who were in that position become complacent with the job that they have. Oh. And they never really move out of that sphere. That's you true. know, they only use English. They only hang out with English speaking people. Oh. So it's like, why did you even come to the country? I looked at this as a boon. I wanted to come out here and learn about the Japanese culture, how they function in society. I wanted to actually be a part of it. Um, which is kind of like a really foolish thing to say, looking back at it, but I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. So I spent all my other resources, like I did in university and I shifted it that way. I was real young at the time. I was still like maybe 23. My blood was still hot, full of passion. <laughs> it's like, I can do whatever. I'm, I felt like Superman. I used all that energy and all that effort to, uh, push myself that way. So I did that for three years. And then there was a year gap where I was doing real estate. I was a model. I was a bartender. I was just all over the place. I was really trying to build up my personal brand so people would know, oh, that's Deuce. Deuce can do anything yeah. if you ask him to do it and you're willing to pay him to do it. Now, don't don't think about that in some kind of dirty way. I wasn't getting <laughs> pimped out, nothing like that. I, 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 I hold firm to that. I will never be pimped out. <laughs> Sexually, maybe some other way, but never sexually. Uh, I, I own full domain over that one. But in that year, um, I met a bunch of people that really put me into the nightlife industry, marketing and, you know, more of a political realm. Hmm. So in that gap year, I was able to really build my name up wherever I went. People knew me. Um, they knew all the different things I could do. And they just started introducing me to more higher echelon people people who could help me really get to the places that I wanted to go. So at my height, I want to say my height was probably like 2019 where, you know, I'm working in nightclubs. I'm working with uh, musicians that come from all around the world on the back end. And on the front end, I'm working with magazines like Vogue and National Geographic, taking pictures and giving interviews and doing interpretation for them. Um, and so I'm, I'm just really at the top of my game. And I'm still a young guy, 2019 is last year. So I was 28, 29 this year. And, you know, that that was really the whole momentum. 
And I felt like I was about to break into something really, really, really big. And then Corona happens and <laughs> kind of puts everything down a little bit slower. So I had been on this real fast pace for like six years or mm-hmm. five years. And then I just hit a wall like that. And, you know, there's not a whole lot that I can actually do because a lot of what I was doing at that time was, you know, face to face, in-person events, yeah. actually moving and grooving and shaking hands. And that's a big no-no in COVID times right now. So mm. being socially distancing and making sure that I still maintain those connections has probably been the toughest part about my current part or my current part of my story right now. But everything is still moving forward. And I feel like there's still a whole lot that I can still do. All right. So we'll, we'll come back to COVID. But uh, mm. I know one one thing you, you had talked about in one of your videos was uh, adjusting <laughs> to Christmas. Ah, uh, Christmas. Yeah. When, oh, yeah. When you no, arrived Christmas there. So, is... Have you finally gotten over that? For the most part, I have, you know, for me, your Christmas reaction in that video was just, I, I just died laughing. <laughs> yeah. Your reaction. Girl. <laughs> no, because they're weird about Christmas. Okay. So here's the thing in Japan, there's no Thanksgiving. Yeah. So right after Halloween, they start marketing for Christmas. There's no grace period. So the Christmas season here is almost like two months long. And it's no. two months too long, to be honest with you. America has literally turned into that now. Nowadays. <laughs> it's, it's sad. It's really sad. There's no buildup. It's like, let me let me enjoy the season. It's still fall. Because, <laughs> I mean, literally, um, summer ends in what? September. Mm-hmm. And then October is Halloween. So you only get like a month and a half of fall. Yeah. And then the rest of it's winter. Winter is depressing as shit. Like, it's cold, it's dark. Like, let me enjoy this <laughs> for what it is. Because I know Christmas is coming. Winter is coming. Yeah. You don't need to remind me. <laughs> do, do they have any special uh, winter drinks? Like in, in Germany and um, I think Netherlands also has it. Uh, there's one called Glühwein. I love it. Hmm. But um, the version I love the most is Thor's Hammer. If you go to like uh, Christmas markets, that's in, my, mm-hmm. my wife is from um, northern, northwestern Germany. So uh, if we go to the medieval um, Christmas events, there's this uh, mm. like the first stall I went to. The guy was like, "Where are you from?" I said, I'm, "I'm coming from New York." He's like, "Oh." you know what, I, I'll give you an extra shot. So they add like extra liquor to the <laughs> Thor's hammer. I'm like, the drink is called Thor's hammer, so it should be heavy. And then he added right. extra shots for me. I was like, hey, man, we, we, we're good friends already. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's like... Oh, you'll uh, make a lot of friends like that, I promise. <laughs> uh, so it's, it, it's, but it's during uh, the winter time, you get that drink, blue vine. Mm. So yeah, they, they have something like that in Japan for the winter. Well, yeah, I mean, they have winter drinks, but um, it's not related to, you know, any holiday or this, yeah. that, or the other. It's just the season. Uh, they drink uh, Atsukan. Atsukan. And that's just hot sake. That's mm. one thing that they drink. So they serve in, like, the little sake glass, and yeah. you got the longer sake bottle, and the, the sake bottle's hot. And, you know, you pour it off, and you take the little shots. But you're supposed to sip it, apparently. I just always... Oh, it, that, that's back, me, too. It looks like a shot glass. <laughs> it looked like a shot glass, I <laughs> promise I take it in one sip. Wow, one gulp is gone. <laughs> yep, bad Japanese manners. That's me. <laughs> and then um, for New Year's, they have a special kind of sake with gold in it. 
So they want you gold. to begin the year every year with uh yeah, like little gold flakes, like oh, a wow. gold slogger, it oh, looks like. Okay. Um, but it doesn't taste like gold slogger at all. So you're supposed to uh <laughs> I haven't made it that far yet. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The gold it don't taste like shit. It's just it's, it's metal shit on your the belief uh, is you want to have some gold in you so that you carry gold throughout the whole year. It's supposed to bring you uh, financial success and this oh. other thing, good health. Oh, okay. So just to symbolize that and the wealth you got. Oh, okay. Let me see. Who, who I got in my who am I, I got in my contacts as Japanese. Um, we, we need to, I need to get in touch <laughs> with them. Like, uh, hey. <laughs> uh, most definitely. It's, I heard y'all drinking gold, so you must got a couple extra dollars. Go yeah, ahead and hit them up. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, about that, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to become a rapper. So, you know, it's not oh, too word. late. I'm almost 40. That's the best time to launch your rap, you know, get into rap, man. I mean, 40 to new 20. That's right. <laughs> That's what they tell me anyway. So, um, when you started teaching, uh, when you started teaching Japanese, uh, sorry, when you started teaching um, in Japan. Um, yeah. What was that your very first day? What was that experience like? Oh my first oh man. Okay. My very first day teaching English was very, very interesting for me. Um in university I had a couple practice school classes and stuff. So I had an idea about how to make a lesson, how to talk in front of people, etc. Uh public speaking has never really been an issue for me. Mm -hmm. But when I got into the classroom, my image of what I would be doing versus the actual reality of it was quite different. I thought I would go in, write up some words on the board, you know, have the students say it. They would break up into small little groups, have conversations. You know, the teacher would translate anything needs to be translated, etc. Let me tell you, when I first got out here, did nobody speak English? Not the students, not the teachers, damn sure not the principal. Because oh, the principal wow. was supposed to help me like figure out all my shit. So they dropped me basically in the middle of nowhere and I'm the only black guy and everybody's looking at my hair and they're just like, is it real? And they kept saying it in Japanese at the time I knew like a little bit of Japanese. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is my hair. And they would always try to touch it. And I was like, <laughs> smack their hand out the way. And they're just like, huh? why? Yeah. I was like, do why do no, <laughs> you don't just walk up and touch people's hair. Yeah. I, I guess you don't have this problem as much if you come out here. <laughs> oh, yeah, for me, yeah, <laughs> the air's gone. That'd <laughs> be a big issue. But uh, my, my uncle, who, because my, my family is also scattered around the world, so one of my uncles, he left Nigeria, I think, 82, 83, when I was, I was born, 82. And either he left right after I was born, or he left in 83 with four of his kids, and then had two more in Scotland, um, mm. in Edinburgh. And he's actually light-skinned. And his wife is mm -hmm. light, a little bit on the lighter side. And he had stories of, uh, the stories I was told as a kid was that when he arrived in Edinburgh, the, the whatever town he lived in, he was the only black person there. So he was considered <laughs> dark. It was still dark. But <clears throat> to us, he was light. <laughs> he was light-skinned mm -hmm. from me. So he, he was grocery shopping and he, he doesn't have, he, he has like a mini afro right now. But back then, I think his hair was much lower. And he's mm. on the respectability politics type of person. So, yeah, he actually supports mm. Trump right now, too. So, um, he, so he had stories of people coming up to him in while he was grocery shopping and they actually touch him and like Trump. 
<laughs> rub your skin like, oh, it's not paint. Wow. That's crazy to me. Like, wow, it's not paint. I'm surprised. <laughs> You're like, wow, you think someone had paint all over his body? <laughs> go and just walk out with his family. Like, okay, we'll paint ourselves and go shopping. Like, um, I, I, I don't understand what the logic behind that, but <laughs> I will be. Oh, like, no, different strokes, different folks, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm surprised. Like, oh, that's how they shop in Nigeria. They put on it didn't real come dark off. paint and just come out. It didn't come off. Wow. It's real. I'm surprised. And I was like, what? Why people do that? Like, they're telling us. I'm like, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's happening. And then, like, why mm. do people actually go touch somebody? I'm like, oh, I'm surprised. It's not. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was paint. <laughs> no, I mean, the amount of privilege with that, with that action is ridiculous. Like, you can just walk over to another human being and be like, oh, no, that's, that's different. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Not different. This is my normal. They're like, oh, your normal is dark. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? Uh, we, we, we as kids, we're trying to process that. Like, what? What is going on in the world? They have you second guess yourself. Yeah. Like, uh, what was it supposed to be? <laughs> it was supposed to just. Like, I was, I was unaware. Uh, like, I gotta go home and ask my mom. Uh, we can take this off. <laughs> <laughs> How, how do we do that? Uh, I was I was trying to get one of the kids to come on the podcast and share his, ex, his experience, but I, I I don't think he's he's there yet. So we'll see in the future. <laughs> yeah, give but, a couple years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so anytime I hear the stories of you know people like yourself and others in Japan, I'm like, yeah, it's. <laughs> I started getting my reports a lot earlier and i was like yeah even though from other parts of the world and i was like yep yeah, i'm i'm not surprised <laughs> yeah man but, i mean they're ahead in a lot of different ways but mm -hmm. in other ways they're just like so behind yeah uh due to that lack of exposure that's true that's true people mm -hmm. underestimate that like uh yeah if you haven't been exposed it, it's gonna be like magic <laughs> what is this <laughs> Came out of a portal? Is there a portal somewhere? Like transporting people? Like, wow, I, I want to go through that. <laughs> like, I want to try to do that one. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. But another beautiful thing about your story is you, you got to understand the power of networking quite early. And, mm. you know, so you, when exactly did you understand and begin to utilize the power of networking? I know you've given. You've alluded to that, but mm. just give an, uh, a little more insights on. Oh, for sure, for when sure. You, when you, you you began to utilize and you know discover how useful of a tool networking was. For sure. Um. So, a lot of my mentors and my uncles, they were what you would consider to be hustlers. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't have like traditional jobs based on their personal history. So they figured out different ways to get different jobs so they could have money to, you know, just function. And one of the smoothest cats was one of the guys that my mom ended up dating. He was like a stepfather and a mentor to me. Uh, his name was Mike. He's, he's passed now, but at the time, I just thought he was the coolest guy. Um, like, I was in seventh grade. I was taller than him, but he was just a real smooth dude uh, in the sense of everybody in the neighborhood knew who he was. If there was any ever an issue that happened with my family or with one of his friends or something, um, he knew the person to contact who could help make it right. Mm. And I saw a lot of power in that. It's like, OK, if I'm out with Mike 
and we're walking up and down the street of his neighborhood, we can't take more than four or five steps without somebody. Hey, Mike, what's going on? He's, oh, I'm just chilling, man. He was real smooth. Yeah. Always had a cigarette hanging off his lip and stuff. And I was like, damn, okay. So if you want to get stuff done, you got to have other people who do it. And that was one of the main lessons he ever gave me. He was like, you got to think like a boss. You got to have the idea. You don't necessarily need the skills because you can find people with the skills. Mm. But you got to have that 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 vision to make something happen. And then if you can't find that person, then you learn how to do it. So he was always just the type to, you know, have a vision for something like he wanted to have like a basketball game for the kids. So he was able to call up a couple of his homies who were like referees. He knew uh, one of the councilmen who could get like us a lot so that we could actually uh, play. Uh, He's he just knew how to find the right people and put them in the right places. And that was something I really admired about him. And then at that time, I was probably you know, 12 or 13. And I was a little bit older. I was in high school, like 14, uh, freshman. And I kind of saw all these things that he was doing. So I wanted to emulate that too. So when I got into high school, I started talking to all the different people, you know, they got the the cliques, you know, the jocks over mm-hmm. here, the nerds over here, pretty bitchy girls over here, you know, <laughs> whatever. And I made sure to have one good friend in each one of those circles, just in case something ever popped off. Yeah. And, uh, it, it really works, you know, in the microcosm of high school. So I was like, why can't I apply this to real life like Mike does? Mm. So I started looking at that and I was like, OK, I got a vision. These are the people I need on my team. Let me go out and find these people so we can make this happen and make it mutually beneficial for everybody. And that's how, you know, I just started seeing the power of networking and, and really developing my own network. So if there was anything I ever needed or if there was something I was super passionate about, I could, you know, quickly mobilize people and get them together so it could happen. That's beautiful. Yeah, that, I, I, that that's why the power of language is, you know, there's, there's a huge power behind it. And there's always people like Mike in every community around mm-hmm. the world, everywhere, you know. And the, many of us grow up without even realizing that peop, there are people like that around us. And right how we can make ourselves be with like those people. My uncle, who I used to look up to as well, my, my, my role model before he passed away, but he passed away pretty young. Uh, he was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And I always looked up to him, but not for that reason, without realizing <laughs> that, you know, everybody knew him. And mm-hmm. at the moment he was about to get into his prime, unfortunately, uh, he, he, he got sick and, died and um you know so it took me a long time to recover from that probably another reason why i never looked at him in that light because mm-hmm. I, I just tried to romanticize uh, the memory of him but just not up to i just kept it to one box you know and you know and but this guy was someone who um i, I remember one incident he, he was a lawyer and he was handling law cases and he went into politics and he was in the opposition party in our state. Mm-hmm. But the state governor was trying to recruit him to come over to the ruling party. He probably would have done that because uh, our, our state is now with the national, um, right now the opposition is now the ruling party at national level, but he wouldn't have been one of those, you know. 
but he would have moved over to the ruling party. But they were trying to recruit him. The National Bar Association were trying to give offer him an executive position. Everybody was coming for him. But at the same mm-hmm. time, even for the cases he was handling at the, as a lawyer, one of his clients had bought a land from one of the, the local tribes. And this mm-hmm. tribe, they were infamous for doing this thing where they'll sell a land to you. One family sells a land to you, and then one person from that family will go sell the same plot of land to another person. And then it's like two other members of that same family will sell that same plot of land to like four other people. So now the four of you start fighting over who owns that land. And then the head of the clan will now come and say, you know what? You are fighting over this plot of land. I, as the head of the clan, will reclaim this land and take mm. it from you all. And then give it back to the family. <laughs> so you all are like, what? So you all will now go to court and start fighting each other. Meanwhile, they've claimed the land and then they go sell the land to like a, a company or somebody else. <laughs> so they, they keep mm-hmm. doing that stuff. So now the, 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 the guy bought the land without telling him because back then in Nigeria, who, no, you, don't, you, you didn't use a lawyer if you were buying. You just bought the land. You threw the cash, buy the land, that's mm-hmm. it. And now the, the guy comes to my uncle and says, hey, I bought this plot of land from these guys and now they said another person bought the land and now the guy is trying to fight me and all this. So it's something that we, we knew. It's something that is common amongst that, that part of the, 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 the city that we lived in. So my uncle is like, oh, you should have come to me first before going to give them money. I would have talked to them to say, hey, don't do this. So he makes a phone call and this guy comes and I, they're talking and the guy's like, okay, yeah, I, I'll get some boys to go there. And the guy goes and then it's like within a week, the land is the land the land belongs to his client and i'm like how did you pull that off it's like oh i called the leader of our the vice president of our youth now our tribe is a bigger tribe in that part of the country than the tribe that is always dishing out lands to like five six people and then reclaiming the land back so it's like yeah i called that guy and that guy sent some boys to go over there they said oh we're gonna be the security to the owner of this land and they're like, oh, we don't want to pick up a fight with this tribe. So, you know what? Yes, we respect the guy who bought the land. We don't respect mm-hmm. the other three guys we sold the land to, but they will figure it out. That's their problem. It's <laughs> 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 in your hands now. It's yours. Yeah, it's yours. Yeah, yeah. You're the legal owner. Yeah, yeah. And the clan, the head of the clan. Oh, yes. Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. Everything's good. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, I'm like, wow. So I actually met the head of our, the youth wing of our, our tribe. Wow. And then... As I realized that some days I'll show up to his house and there'll be like a whole bunch of dudes in the house from different groups, different mm-hmm. factions coming there. And I'm like, yeah, I was young and he introduced me like, hey, uh, this is Ralph. You know who this guy is? His mother is this person in our tribe. They're like, oh, I heard about your mom. Wow. And they shake my hand. And I was, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't occur to me what that, that meant or how to utilize that because it wasn't something that was in my head. So it's now like, 20 years later, I'm like, oh. <laughs> right, you get that eureka moment. Like, oh, that's what was happening. He was trying to, oh, yeah. okay. But, you know, but he, he didn't break it down like, hey, man. I'm, but he, I guess he literally wanted to walk me in slowly and then be like, okay, now you can start playing the game. And like, oh, okay. But, but back then I was like 22. And I was like, yeah, I was, mm-hmm. I was old enough to take, just give me the, break it to me. Like, hey, this side works. <laughs> I'm not like 15. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, networking, 
it's something that um yeah it's uh I, I i i make sure i let my younger my my nieces nephews the ones who are way younger than i am right now mm-hmm. because we still do this thing about working in age groups so like oh if you're this age you only talk to people i'm like uh no let the younger ones know the mistakes that we made so they don't repeat those mistakes and they come out better than we currently are because it's not about we trying to be like holding everything to ourselves all the we we, we mm-hmm. are not we are not wise if we are all that wise we wouldn't uh, we would have been a lot better but we made so many mistakes right. so we have to reveal those mistakes like look at the mistakes we made we are not perfect you get right. that advantage of knowing that your seniors were making mistakes doing a lot of bullshit so take it now what you do with that information is up to you I'm exactly. not the type who's going to say, you must not. Uh, no, I'm going to tell you, look at the mistakes I made. Up to you now, go. Because when I was their age, everybody ahead of me was like, I made A's in school. I was this person. I did this. I was uh, that. <laughs> and then when I get to be the, um, the age they were claiming they were all perfect, I started discovering, like, these people didn't know anything. There was nobody uh-huh. who to guide them. So, But by then, I was already molding my life like theirs and i started making all the mistakes and discovering everything and i started hating a whole lot of things they represented so now i'm letting the younger ones know that networking is key talk to people get out of that bubble don't say it's only just me me i gotta be no 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 get out discover and utilize that power because the word networking never existed i had to go to university I was almost done with university before I realized that there's a word called networking, but I've been applying it without even realizing that yeah. I was applying it. And if I had known about it much earlier, I probably would have done a lot more things. Not that I'm regretting, mm. but it's something that I'm willing to share and talk about it more and more and beat it into people's heads like it exists. Use it. No, most definitely. I love the way that you put it. Like, uh, I know when I was younger, the adults always tried to act like they had it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the fact that you're very vocal that, yes, you know, we made mistakes. This is what happened. Now you have all these tools available to you. What are you going to do with it? And I feel like that's a major part of sharing knowledge. Yeah. It's not just letting them know the successes that you had. It's, it's letting them know about the failures, too, so that it can become a little bit more realistic to them. Like, even though this person that I really admire, um, they seem to have it all together, but they don't know what it took to get up to that point. And I think that's a real important part of sharing uh, the experience about it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, uh, so let's jump, start going to the lighter side. I like to end on a lighter note. Mm. So um, I've seen you rocking and modeling um, gorgeous kimonos. Um, sure. Can you describe what it felt like the first time you put on one? And is it commonly accepted? as normal to see um, non-Japanese uh, citizens or people or, or foreigners wearing kimonos over there? Okay. Um, so the first time I ever wore a kimono, I was a foreign exchange student. And I was doing like a tea ceremony and I put it on and I was like, I had always watched like the samurai movies and stuff. So I put it on and I was like, all right, I feel kind of cool. So I'm walking around in it and I feel comfortable. And it's, it's, it's a little heavier than you might actually think. Uh, and it takes a lot of time to actually put on. But when you actually wear it, it's quite comfortable. You know, they had to wear it to fight in swords and, yeah. and move quickly. And it's a very versatile piece of clothing. So I felt I felt really comfortable in it. And one of the real nice things that everybody would say is, oh, kakui, 
which means like, oh, that's really cool. Mm. So whenever I put on it, um, they were like, oh, man, it looks so good on you. You just look good in a kimono. And I'm like, well, shit, I know I look good in everything, but I'm definitely right face <laughs> kimono. No lie, you do look good in everything. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but as far as the uh, kimonos that you, uh, kimono, sorry, the kimonos kimono. that you've seen on my uh, Instagram is actually African print. They're African print kimonos. They're called uh, wafuku, which means like Western clothing, oh. even though it's made in the style of that. And it's made up by, I forget which country is that. I think he's from the Congo. Congo, yeah. I, I, uh, I actually follow he, him. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping I can interview him. I haven't reached out to oh, him Oh, you yet. definitely can. He's yeah. a real good dude to interview. Oh, I, um, I plan and to. He started drawing up the different designs yeah. and, and putting them together and working with Japanese uh, fashion designers and a couple people from Vogue. And they got together and they put it on national TV and they needed a model. Uh, and I had worked with them a couple times in the past before, but they called me up and they were like, hey, Deuce, you know, you got the hair, you got the looks. You got the right height and we need you. So naturally, I'm like, okay, cool. When and where? So they call me up. We go out there. We take a couple videos, a couple pictures. And uh, they give them a full length interview on NHK, which is the uh, worldwide Japanese network. It's yeah. very similar to like ABC, ABC or something. So ABC, you can see this anywhere in the uh, world. Bashavella, yeah. I've, I've watched mm. a few of their shows. Yeah, yeah. They're really, really informational. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they put him on there and they really, you know, put him in the spotlight and I was just really glad to be of assistance to him. You know, I was very fortunate for my parents to get this body, so I might as well use it as much <laughs> as I can. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what's one thing about, um, Chai Town? Is it Chai Town or Chi Town? Oh, don't do Chi Town, bro. It's Chi Town. Chi Town. Yeah, I, I yes, forget. Sir. I don't use it all the time, so it's not always in fair my enough, fair database. Enough. I don't know what the I'm, kids call it these days, I'm, but I call it Chi Town. I'm, I'm Brooklyn, so you know you can't can't. Don't, you know, we got beef, but we cool. It's all good. Okay, yeah, I, 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 I ate deep dish when I went there. All right, but I've, I've been there three okay. times. But I, I, I did deep right, dish, enough, and I had nothing enough. bad to say about it. It's not my favorite, but I have nothing bad to say about it. Hey, hey, you fair? You can have an opinion even if it's wrong. <laughs> so what's one thing about, uh, wait, wait, how you say it again? Chi-Town. Chi-Town, yeah, you just told me. Yes, yeah. sir. Chi-Town. So what's one thing about Chi-Town that you miss the most while in Osaka? And when you're in Chi-Town, what's one thing you miss about Osaka? Oh, man. So... And I feel like the answer is going to be food either way, but let me explain why. Okay. So I miss Chicago food. I miss, you know, the deep dish pizza a little bit, not so much, but the Italian beef sandwich, man, oh, they, mm. they just, they don't have it out here. I can make it, but it'll take me some days to put it all together. And my kitchen's real small, so it's not even worth the hassle. Um, but whenever I go home, that's always the first thing I always eat. And then, you know, my mom and my grandma's cooking. They cook authentic soul food. Yeah. And that's just not something that's a part of anything in Japan. So they don't have any any remnants of my cultural food, so to speak. But then when I go back to Chicago, man, I feel like, man, I miss Japanese food. You know, <laughs> I miss having the fresh the sushi and the okonomiyakis and the takoyakis and, and just all these like really beautiful and elegant meals. If you look on my Instagram, you'll see them too. It's just like, oh my God, the presentation, the flavors are just immaculate. The Japanese and presentation really of food is food. something else. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling fat just thinking about it, to be honest with you. 
come clog up my arteries real quick with some <laughs> nasty, delicious goodness from Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so um you um you've given TED talks, you've talked to corporate teams, tourists, students, and more. Mm-hmm. To the young brother and sister listening, who dreams of you know following in your footsteps or going into a similar career like mm-hmm. yours or you know doing something within the realm of what you're doing, uh-huh. what advice would you give to them or what do you say to them? I got a couple, like maybe like two or three key points I really want to focus on with that. The first one is going to be live to impress yourself. So, you know, other people, they'll have expectations of you, this, that, and the other. Don't focus so much on what other people want for your life. Focus on what you want for your life and really push yourself as far as you can go because you would be surprised at how much you as an individual can actually do when you put your mind to it. So, you know, focus on yourself, live to impress yourself. Don't worry about what other people think about you because at the end of the day, you got to live with yourself. You wake up by yourself, you go to sleep by yourself. Everything that you accomplish is in some way, shape, or form due to your effort. So that's number one. Number two is like, don't be afraid to fail. And I love speaking to this point so much. You know, you, well, we, we kind of alluded to this earlier in the conversation where, you know, you share your failures and you finally get that success, but you don't necessarily know how you'll be successful the first time every time. Yeah. So if you fall off, you'll fall off. That's perfectly fine. You sit down, you analyze why you fail and make it better. So every time you do it, you just sharpen in the saw, you know, you, you make yourself better over time, mm-hmm. even though you will fail. Um, and the last thing is like, don't take yourself too serious, man. Um, I'm, I'm coming up on 30 now. And usually like when people start to turn 30, they stress out about a lot of stuff. You know, I'm supposed to have A, B and C, uh, but you don't have A and B quite the way you want it to be. And then C is just like way, way out of reach. Like, don't don't put yourself on somebody else's timeline and just really enjoy your process. You know, don't don't feel that you have to be at a certain place at a certain time to compare yourself to somebody else. You know, so take it, take it easy. Make sure you laugh at yourself sometimes and and just roll with the punches, because I promise it'll get a whole lot better if you just have an optimistic outlook and. And are just able to laugh at yourself and not be too serious. That, that I agree with, because uh, yeah, you can see my hair is gone. So yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't. Yeah. I'm holding on by a thread. Well, several threads. Yo, but I'm yeah, holding yeah, on. Yours is still a lot better than uh, yeah. That, 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 I think I, I, I by the time I hit thirty, uh, uh, that, that it was like uh, every time I looked in the mirror, it was like, bro, embrace it, give it up. <laughs> oh well see you, I'm, I'm you, glad i'm not going to compare myself yeah. to you because i'm gonna keep it up here yeah my mind was uh, uh yeah the, the stress uh, it, the stress was uh, i was yeah i was just packing so much burden on it and it was yeah because i used to have an afro no people don't believe that <laughs> that i was not an afro that was right hey, uh, yeah, yeah i can see it i can see it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love this conversation i mean i can i can i could do this one all day <laughs> <laughs> but I have to start wrapping up. But before I wrap no, most up, definitely. you know, there's one question I've, I haven't asked yet and I have to ask it. So, yes, sir. When it comes to music, you know, mm. now that you've been in uh, Japan for a few years, Osaka for a few years, and, uh, you know, uh, 
if I were to say, okay, I'm, I, I want to get, uh, uh, are you into the Japanese music scene or are you still back in, are you, are you fully, do you still fully belong to the, uh, the American scene? So when it comes to your favorite, do you have a favorite Japanese or what, 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 what where will you say you belong to? Okay. So when it comes to my listening pleasure, well, I listen to everything, but when it comes to my listening pleasure, I typically tend to stay towards, you know, the Western style of music, hip hop, okay. R&B, uh, a lot of jazz, a lot of classical, actually. Mm, that's um, that's kind of like my go to chill, whatever. But um, in Japan, you know, karaoke, karaoke is very popular. Yep. And whenever I go out to sing, I always sing old Japanese songs because oh. like my buddy, he's an old Japanese guy. So we just sing those back and forth all day. So, you know, I still try to embrace the culture. I still want to learn the culture. Uh, so I fully jump in. If I'm doing something Japanese, it's 100% Japanese. But if I'm just chilling at home and I just want to listen to something, I'm going to probably listen to some Kendrick, some J. Cole, uh, you know, just something over there that's going to get my mind thinking about the bigger picture. And then when I'm out with my friends, you know, I'll make a fool of myself and sing in Japanese, even though I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. I think when it comes to uh, karaoke, um, it's that it, if you're not about that life um, to have fun and, you know, I, I put videos of myself singing and people are like, oh, my God, that's terrible. I'm like, uh, yeah, Bro, I, I, this, this, ones, this video <laughs> is not about trying to get an audition with American Idol. So I don't give a right. damn about your opinion. It's just me living my best life. Hell yeah. <laughs> I got to sing all the songs that I sang. When my heart got broken as a teenager, and I've done it on video now, so I'm satisfied with life. So it's okay. Mm. <laughs> it's terrible. No, that's but... what's up, man. Embrace it all. <laughs> <laughs> but J Japan does have a lot of good jazz um, artists, though, because jazz has a big influence over there. Yeah, too. So they have yeah, a big yeah, jazz yeah. Lots scene. of uh, live performance bars as well. Yeah, out in Kobe. I know. Unfortunately, I know, I know a Japanese um, jazz musician who's based in New York got attacked recently, about a few weeks ago. Um, mm. they, they haven't said who did the attacking, but some kids attacked him. He was coming off the subway. I just I, I was reading it this morning, and yeah, he I think he performs in the local jazz scene, but he came mm. over here from Japan, and he, he's. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, it's something like even on my regular. Just playing on YouTube, random mm -hmm. Japanese. If I'm just doing a jazz, um, just listen to jazz only, uh, the blues. You just find some Japanese artists who just appear mm -hmm. in between. And yeah, so Japan is always one of those countries that tends to pop yeah, up. Yeah, they're on top of it, man. Yeah. So. And, uh, uh, and reggaeton, too. No, no, no. no I, yeah, no, actually. I, uh, yeah, and. Um, Oh my god, it's so many bad chicks out here to do that. Like they're they're little little small yeah. little Asian dolls, but they really hit it hard. Yeah, like, the, the first time I saw it, I, I was in, in I was in Bahrain. First time when my boy just came over from Japan and showed me the video. I was like, Whoa, what's going on? <laughs> I was like, wow. And then, I thought it was just a one time thing, and then he was like, no. Nah, it's serious. And then show me a whole list of videos. Like, man, this is wow. M music does transcend. Yeah. Because here, here's the thing. Yeah, I had never known about dance hall until I actually moved to Japan. Oh. I started hanging out with like some Jamaicans and stuff. Oh. And they invited me out to this party, like a dance hall party. Yeah. 
Uh, or they call it soca or something like that. Yeah, there, there's a variation of soca. There's the dancehall. Mm. The, uh, the city I grew up in, uh, my my teenage, the city I became a teenager in in Nigeria because yeah. didn't move in. I, I moved around. So I think from age six to fourteen, mm-hmm. Benin City where I was. So like from age six to probably ten, twelve. Hip hop, rap wasn't you, you couldn't play that kids' birthday parties. You couldn't play rap like that's why the only rap that I knew was like MC Hammer. That uh-huh. was it. So for years, I never knew that it was like rap. Like even I've said this story before. Mm-hmm. When a kid from the bigger cities came to our city and he was like, "What's up, my nigga?" We beat him up because like how dare you insult <laughs> us? Who the hell are you? But mm-hmm. at kids' parties, you play dancehall. Wow! Now see that don't make Whoa! no sense. That makes Whoa! no sense. When I saw some dance hall dancing, I was like, "Oh, my virgin eyes!" So you can oh. play that. No, <laughs> I, I, no, we, we weren't as hardcore because if 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 we had seen those videos of them hardcore dancing with the mm-hmm. with ladies jumping on the guys like that, I think uh, the wives would have been protesting <laughs> to the radio, to the TV station. It's like, don't play this music, don't play it. But that's crazy. But I'll play that. Though. We, 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 the Shabarang, like a god in Nigeria. You know, he's like a god. But uh, Patra, she's also like they they worship her. But in that city, mm-hmm. we, we I think we got most of it on the radio than on the TV. Mm-hmm. So we weren't aware of how crazy it got. But we loved it. And when you say, "Oh, there's rap," what what else rap? Get it out of here. Get it out. We want this. Put it now. So kids will be crying. I remember kids <laughs> crying at birthday parties like, oh, they, they, didn't, "They didn't play dancehall. They didn't play. They didn't play. They didn't, they didn't play." No, I want, I want that. Start crying. They play. That's crazy, man. And then it will take years. And then I, I, my cousin will give me like, "Oh, Buster Rhymes." Like, who the hell is that? What is that? Buster Rhymes. <laughs> Tupac. What, what is Tupac? Big. Why are you calling yeah, yourself? You were late to the party. I was late. I was late. Yeah, I was late. I'm still recovering, but I'm late. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with this pandemic, uh, this is going to be the second to the last question. So, uh, okay. what does the, the the future hold for Deuce? How are you going forward um, with adapting to the um, the whole pandemic and COVID nineteen situation? How does it affect you? Uh, most definitely. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff for myself. I got to focus on. I got to figure out exactly how I want to proceed with the rest of my life. I love my life at current, but I'm always an individual who has to push forward. So I always got to find something to challenge myself. And I'm not really sure what the world is going to look like after COVID. You know, are there going to be all of these different regulations when it comes to travel? If that's the case, do I want to stay and travel? Because yeah. you don't you don't necessarily know how it's going to look. Or do I want to focus more on community service and the community aspect of things, oh. which originally brought me to Japan? Uh, is there a way for me to mail both of them? So I'm, I'm currently in a process where I'm reaching out to my different mentors and I'm looking inside of myself to figure out what I want to do. Because um, I'm kind of in uncharted territory. There aren't many people who've been in a position like me um, who have been able to progress forward and, you know, kind of give me a roadmap to go. I'm on completely uncharted territory, which is frightening, but so exhilarating at the same time. I'm excited for it. Um, and I'm just really waiting to see how it plays out. So I'm not taking it too serious as my third point. Yep. And, you know, I'm just really living life and developing my skills and just being the best me I could possibly be. That's the way to go. That's the way to go. Mm. So finally, um, do you have any word of advice? Uh, could be anything you'd like to leave the audience with? Could be a quote from your favorite 
book or from your, your uh, um, a line from your favorite song or just anything Got you want to leave the audience with. Got you, man. The one thing I'm going to leave you with is one of my favorite quotes of all time. The circumstances of our birth is irrelevant. Mm. It is what you do with the gift of life that determines who you are. And that's from Mewtwo from Pokemon. So for all of my millennials, y'all probably get a real good kick out of that. But honestly, it doesn't matter what situation you were born into. You got the power to understand your situation and, and make moves. Can't nobody tell you that you can't really do nothing. You, you have it in you. And there are people out there who will help you if you know how to search them out. Yeah. All right. I love that. I, I know a Pokemon hater. I think I'll send that quote to him. Just <laughs> saying to him, like, hey, how you doing today? I got something for you. Pow. And I'm like, who, 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 who said this quote? I'm like, guess. Right. Guess. Go search for it. <laughs> I know you hate all the people who play Pokemon Go. <laughs> That's my blessing to you today. All right, uh, mm. give us a plug-in. Uh, any, any plug-ins? you have any plug-ins? Uh, well, yeah, my plug-ins, of course, you know, follow me, that boy Deuce, um, on Instagram. If you could add it somewhere in the description where oh, you write this shit, yeah, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, I'm also working on some different projects to bring out different things. So mostly if you keep up with me on Instagram, you see all that stuff because everything's live every day. Um, outside of that, I understand that if you want to come to Japan sometime in the future, you can check out our government website, Kansai, that's K-A-N-S-A-I, guide, G-U-I-D-E, dot um, J-P. Then you can figure out all the different uh, things that you can do while you come out here to Japan. And if you just need some help or you want to chat, you know, feel free to hit up either one of those websites and I'll be glad to help you out. All right. I'll be adding both links to the, to the show notes and... Um... Yeah, and I'll also be tagging you on the um, when I release the episode on Instagram and um, various social medias. So I can't thank Most you enough. Um, uh, Arigato-san, right? <laughs> That's it, right? Uh, arigato. Yeah, Arigato. Arigato. <laughs> arigato. Hi. Yeah. And there I, you go. I try to say thank you in almost anybody, everybody's language who appears on the show. So, yeah, it's uh, the least I can do. So thank you again. Uh, most up, most um, no, thank you so much. Hey, uh, it's been a pleasure. And um, I hope down the line we'll get to do this again. And um, when I make my long overdue trip to Japan, uh, I get to hang out with you and go get some of those good food and and um, drinks. Uh, yeah, because I, I ain't coming there to do I'm not a sober person. I'm, I'm a drink, man. I'm a drink. <laughs> I got you. All I got right. the perfect restaurant in mind already. <laughs> All right. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, don't forget to leave us five stars and um, share with your friends and catch the next episode. And yeah, keep the love coming in and stay safe out there. See you at the next episode. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support. <laughs>